Welcome to the podcast. We have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about some interesting COVID numbers that compare this year and last year, and they are pretty startling. We're also going to talk about some interesting news around men and some side effects with the vaccine. We're also going to talk about the tragic passing of John McAfee, the founder of antivirus software. We're also going to talk about all that great Windows 11 news and some new features that you can expect to see this fall. And we're going to talk about the four big bills aimed at big tech. All this and more coming up on the Sunday Brunch. Enjoy. Welcome to the Sunday Brunch, a weekly news show where we ask the big questions on the week's tech, science, and medicine. And like every week, I am joined by my good friend, my sage, the person who provides me a lot of wisdom on a weekly basis, my co-host, Dr. Marty. Uh, How is, well, first off, how are you feeling? Because you were dealing with the summer cold. And how is the great city of Chicago? Um, The summer cold is, is past. I gave it to about three other people, so I know I did my due diligence, and I feel great. (laughs) Um, I am enjoying the rainy weather of Chicago, while the the western states are sweltering in the heat, Uh, but it's beautiful Midwestern summer rainy weather. So I'm happy as a clam, and I have been eating like my Midwestern self, which means everything involves more volume and more heft. There's a, there's a lot of meat and this is meat and potatoes land. Okay. Even more than even more than Colorado, this is okay. meat and potatoes land. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're a big fan of beef here. There there, yeah. there is like uh, you want a salad, you get a side of beef with it. You want beef, you get a side of uh, porterhouse. You get a side of beef with everything. Yeah, Colorado that was part of its charm too, but you know Midwest is like in Colorado people are obsessed with health consciousness, like obsessed with it, and in the Midwest. In Chicago, there are a lot of people who are very concerned, young people especially. Um, but part of the norm is to show that you are so internally healthy that you can inject yourself with as much fat and cholesterol and carbohydrate as any living being could, and you'll still feel and look great. So there's kind of like a weird pissing contest of how many orders of mashed potatoes and pizza and chicken, fried chicken. And it's just like so hefty. Yeah. And I think in Colorado, you, you know, and, and I think you went, you went sort of native when you were here because you have the diet, but then you also have to have the Patagonia. You wear jeans to everything. <laughs> you probably own a Subaru and you bought a Subaru here because that, 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 that is a part of the purchasing decision. So yeah, it's, it's a part of the Colorado uniform. So before the the podcast started, and I'll share this with the viewers, I was invited to an impromptu wedding this weekend. Um, The problem with the impromptu wedding is that I didn't prepare to have on my trek across the Midwest any kind of formal attire. I did bring one long sleeve white dress shirt um, because I knew that I had to be on Zoom for something fancy. And I brought a black tie because I knew I could wear shorts or sweatpants with that. But now that I actually have to go to a wedding, I'm going to do it all a Colorado style and wear my blue jeans with it and a white shirt and a black tie because that just speaks to sophistication and class. That's how I want to be remembered. <laughs> yeah, I uh, so so it's interesting. So like this week um, and and I think and, and we've said it at the beginning of June, uh, happy pride on behalf of our podcast um, it's been great this year to see so many companies and organizations and and, uh, and government organizations all celebrating Pride. And um, I was invited to a to a, a Pride event. Um, it was kind of a formal proclamation kind of thing, um, and it was really fun. But I I had to wear a, a jacket with it, 
And, and there was like the, about a one inch layer of dust on the shoulders of my jacket because I because it's been over a year since I've even worn yeah. like a sport coat or anything. I mean, it's just yep. been crazy. Yeah. Um, we all have slightly misshapen clothes and bodies and cars, and there's going to be some rust to work through as we move into the next phases. But while we're trying to think about moving forward, and in this country we largely are, um, that is not so for the rest of the world. And this was kind of the US uh, gambit that we took in, in the beginning was, we're putting everything in innovation and technology and not nearly as much, especially compared to other countries in terms of prevention. Uh, and that really, you know, it, it varied depending on where you lived, where you would see the COVID spike. Um, you'd see uh, a, a bit of herd immunity that was created temporarily or something like herd immunity. Then you get a variant that would come and you'd get a second wave the following year. And like we saw a little bit of this. So in, in 2021, there have been more COVID deaths. It was recently reported than in 2020. And that's so far. I mean, we're in... What month, what month are we in, Matt? June. June. It, it, it's a it, it's a great month, you know. It's my it's my sign. It's it's the Cancer month halfway through. I don't I don't think we're supposed to call it the Cancer month, but it's the sign of Cancer. So that that, that, that is a we'll call him the Crab. Um. So so it's definitely taken a big round too. Um. There have been over six hundred thousand deaths. We, the United States has the leading fatalities in the world from COVID. We took a very hard hit. We were the example that nobody wanted to be. But because of that, we did create some immunity and we did uh, invest in technology. So we had vaccines available for people to create areas where there was a lot of immunity. Um, now, we, after the India spike, where we saw a, a huge spike in fatality and we saw um, a lot of worlds now, a lot of parts of the world getting this Delta variant uh, that had originated first in India, or they found it first in India rather, um, this is the new thing to be afraid of. Almost everybody in the United States um, who is getting sick is not from the Delta variant, although that, that is growing in areas, and they, they do project that soon that will be the, the dominant variant. But everybody in the United States who's still succumbing to COVID now is somebody who's unvaccinated, who's not vaccinated. So it's kind of speaking to the populations that are going to be affected by this next wave. It doesn't mean you're immune, uh, but it means you have immunity. Uh, like you've got a certain degree of, of, of immunity. It's something like 80 to 90% of people who've received two doses of a vaccine have about 90% effectiveness against uh, the Delta variant. But there is a big worry in this country against the, uh, the fighting against the Delta variant in communities where not many have been vaccinated and the young people who haven't been vaccinated. And that's where we are starting to see spikes. And that's where the world is really hurting right now. And, you know, countries like, you know, Name a country where not everybody's been vaccinated or you're starting to get to the 50 year olds or you're just starting with the elderly. I mean, they're getting hit hard and they're very, very afraid of of this next wave of COVID. Uh, so in some ways, we are feeling much more at ease. We're looking at other countries like, hey, what are you so worried about? Um, and that's because of the investments we made and took a toll on the, on the front end of this. But it wasn't because it was a good deed on our part per se. It was because we were we're really good at innovation and, and biotech and and using our manufacturing and, and our power there to to really drive our own uh, recovery or our actions toward recovery. You know, we're, we're still dealing with it. We're still estimated to have a lot of negative, negative outcomes from the next wave coming through. And if you're not vaccinated, I really highly, if you can, 
um, would advocate for being vaccinated. It doesn't look like the Biden administration is going to meet their 4th of July goal. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't because that is one's best protection right now. All that being said, for those that also are paying attention to the news, Matt, what would your worry be if I told you everybody should get vaccinated? Uh, well, I, what would my worry be if I Yeah, like if let's say you were a worry wart, because I know you're not. Um, but let's just assume that you might possibly be. What would a worry be? I think, it, you know, for me, I think a worry with the vaccine, um, and I think I think a, a common concern uh, with many people was was side effects. I think that that yep. was the that was the big thing. I also know, um, sort of in my circle and 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 probably in yours, because we're we're kind of in that age group where people are getting married and they're and they're doing um, family planning. Um, is is you know is is this a good time? Does that will, will the vaccine impact uh, pregnant women and those type of things? So I think that that would probably be probably the, the the leading concerns for me at this point. Yeah, and in fact, a lot of people are worried, and they're worried about the technology, especially of the Pfizer Moderna vaccines, which have an mRNA technology we hadn't used that before. People just don't know what they don't know, including you know we don't know the long term effects of these things. This is the first time, and the unknown is scary. But COVID is scarier, in my humble and experienced opinion. Uh, it is scarier. And um, we are finding that one of the side effects, and it's a rare side effects, especially in people under 30, <clears throat> and if I remember correctly, it's actually more common in men, is inflammation in your heart, myocarditis and pericarditis, which essentially, um, <clears throat> it's you, you feel chest pain uh, and your heart is inflamed. And it can be very, very damaging if you overexert yourself while you have myocarditis. And so in order to avoid that, if you have had the vaccine and you fit this profile of you're under 30, if you're a male, uh, if you have chest pain after you exercise especially, or um, it changes with your position or whatever, whatever the, the symptoms you discuss with your physician are that you should be worried about, um, <clears throat> you might want to get it checked out. You might want to find out if you do have myocarditis. It's not a common side effect. Um, it is, I want to say, something like 1,200 cases out of 150 million people. So, you know, the number is not so large, but it's worth, it's worth paying attention to. Now, on the other side of that, I also want to mention if you have COVID, oftentimes asymptomatically in the same grouping, you are also going to have similar uh, likelihoods of developing myocarditis or pericarditis. So they had found, I don't know if you remember, that especially these athletes were coming in, having contracted COVID but not having any symptoms, and then later finding that their chests were hurting and they went in and they had to be sidelined for a long time because it is dangerous to be active with myocarditis, that they had developed myocarditis. And I was, you know, because I'm not a worrywart either, after I finished with COVID, I was, you know, worried that I had developed myocarditis because um, because I worry about things, and I had gone through the entire workup. I've never had myocarditis, but you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, just to keep everybody's memory kind of clear, uh, myocarditis from a vaccine or myocarditis from the virus, there's something there that's common to probably the process of inflammation that one goes through when you're, when our immune systems are dealing with fighting the spike protein. Um, but it's not all or none. It's not like, well, if you get the vaccine, it's a concern. 
And if you avoid it, you're better because if you get COVID, then you, in addition to all the other nasty effects of COVID, you could still get myocarditis as part of it. Well, and, and I mean, just going back to the original story, I was absolutely blown away by these numbers. I mean, when they said the the global death toll for 2020 reached 1.9 million and we're in June and then last year was 1.8 million. I mean, it took me back and the the story I was looking for uh, that I was originally looking at, sorry, was was in the Daily Mail. And I mean, it, it I don't know how it struck you, but I mean, I was just thinking like last year to think to think of that many people that many families impacted um, the number of memorial services, the number of, of, of people. I mean, that's jobs, that's families, that's homes. I mean, and to think that we're not through, we're not quite through June yet and to be at 1.9 million worldwide. I mean, uh, it, it definitely took me back. And I mean, I, I can't, I have a hard time fathoming a million, yeah. but to think that we are crawling past 2 million worldwide. I mean, it, it is, it is definitely something I wasn't expecting and to ever see in my life. And 600,000 just in the U.S. I mean, in terms of the great tragedies of our time, I think we are always going to carry this one with us. I think we will never forget this. And um, as you said, when you really start thinking about how many of us have known someone or or someone we knew mysteriously, you know, we never heard from again. I mean, that this is this is haunting, and it isn't done, and um, it's worth really taking seriously. That's always been my contention with with the coronavirus. And um, there was to add some juiciness to the story. We, we've talked about whether or not this this theory that kind of is floating out there that it was manufactured in a lab in China or that it was tested in a lab and it escaped. Um, There was a researcher, I think in Washington state, I wanna say in Seattle, who had recently found that, you know, when you sequence a virus, you can determine what each of the nucleic acids are, you know, is it, is it, uh, you know, an an ACGU or ACGT, depending on the virus. and whatever that sequence is, like the genome, essentially, of the virus. Well, um, they found that early on when they were doing all the sequences, they would keep track of everything. But a number of the data points from the early sequences they thought that might have come from Wuhan were just suddenly disappeared. They, they just disappeared. So I haven't gone into this. And, you know, to be very fair, it's much more sensationalized than we actually know. It's, it's really fun to jump to conclusions. And there is a lot of debate on this. But this story is not just dying. There's something that's keeping it alive. And I do want to kind of see where it goes, because um, as we're going through this, and my my hunch is that it probably was a natural pass, a zoonotic event. Um, but if it weren't, and, and if it wasn't a natural zoonotic event, and if there was some laboratory role, I imagine this has to have been an accident, like a nightmarish accident that you'd see in a movie on an airplane. Uh, but not necessarily one that was done because this toll is just too high and this is just too nasty. This is too tragic. Well, and to all of our listeners, I mean, uh, I know for for both Dr. Marty and I, we certainly have had um, people in our lives who have been impacted by by COVID. Um, so certainly on behalf of our podcast, we want to you know extend our thoughts to all the families and all of our listeners who have been impacted by this horrible pandemic. And I mean, it's, we're, we're not through it, but things are certainly getting better. Um, 
Another another story uh, that uh, certainly impacted the tech world was was the passing of of John McAfee. Um, it was it, it came out this week that uh, that uh, he passed away in Spain, um, and all the reports show that uh, it, w- it was it was quite tragic. Um, and uh, he, he he certainly left a big thumbprint in the uh, technology world. Um, I know as a as a as a technologist from going way back to when I was you know uh, as as early as nine and ten, um, you know McAfee. If if you know if you've been around for a while, it was like McAfee and Norton were the dominant antivirus software. Uh, a lot of people know John because of of, of McAfee antivirus. Um, he wrote the first antivirus software in 1987. Um, he founded McAfee, um, and in, in his name has 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 been around for forever. Um, he has a very interesting history, uh, you know, because in 1994 he actually resigned from McAfee. Um, a lot of people didn't know that, and and he he sort of stepped back, and he actually became a vocal critic. Um, against McAfee, um, he actually sort of said, you know, you know, McAfee is, is changing direction. Um, he felt the software had sort of changed into uh, something else that he was really not uh, didn't think that antivirus software should, you know, you know, should really head. Um, and then he he ran for office. Um, he actually he actually ran uh, for for president both in 2016 and then again in 2020. Really fascinating guy. He founded several companies. Um, one of which was was very early technology for instant messaging, um, and so so yeah. I mean, he was just he he, he was a technologist. Wait, was that was that ICQ? No, it was something funky. It wasn't ICQ. I'll I'll, I'll have to pull it up. It was it, it had a weird name, but uh, he was one of the he was one of the early guys. He got into cryptocurrency. He got into a little bit of everything, and. Um, I, I mean, he, he was a very interesting guy. I mean, he was just one of those people who I, who I was, I was really fascinated by. Um, and, and when it changed in 94 and he stepped down, everyone was kind of wondering like, what's next? I mean, he, he, what he created antivirus software. And so, um, it was just, it, it was just very sad news this week. Um, as, as somebody who, who, who certainly I was influential, you know, in my childhood as, as, as an early technologist. So. I can see the the McAfee insignia on my computer as I'm talking to you right now, so I guess I feel protected um, as as uh, as a way to keep the memory going. But I have to say, when I was seeing the news stories for this, most headlines read John McAfee, pioneer of antivirus software, dead in Spanish prison, which suddenly sounds like a Harry Potter novel. I mean, it sounds way more yeah. way more salacious than uh, like a natural death. So with headlines like that, what happened? You know, why was why was he in a Spanish prison? It you know it looks like and and again you know this is just from what information I could glean was um, it he was being held in prison um, because of tax evasion, and as 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 he was waiting for for extradition, um, you know there you know unfortunately he committed suicide um, in while while he was in Spain. And so, um, you know, again, you know, our, you know, our, 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 our thoughts certainly go out to, you know, out to his family. Um, and in, again, you know, I mean, uh, you know, we, we still don't know kind of what his thinking was behind tax evasion, but I think it was like four years of, of, of not paying taxes. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of what happened. Uh, and so, yeah, okay. it, was, it was really sad. That is really sad. So, um, he was in Spain. He had been writing out the post antivirus era of his own life. 
Uh, what ended up happening if you put into context the antivirus world since his retirement that is really different now compared to, like, if, if John McAfee had to look at everything right now, or if he was writing about this, I'm, I'm ignorant, I'm not an antivirus, I'm not a cybersecurity person. Um, what would it be a very different thing that exists now than did during the era of early antivirus? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, in the in the 1990s, you know, and in, 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 in for, for younger listeners who, who uh, um, weren't, weren't around then, um, we would buy McAfee antivirus or Norton antivirus, and, and it wasn't cheap. I, I don't know about you, Dr. Mario, but I think it was one of the more expensive pieces of software that you would buy. I mean, it could be $100, it could even be $200. And you would get this subscription service. And there was always a debate between who was better, was it McAfee or was it Norton and those type of things. Um, in this subscription service, uh, you would regularly download updates to it to make sure that it was current. And then you would usually, with me, it was usually a Friday night. The last thing I did before I go to bed would be to kick off a scan, you know, and it, McAfee or Norton would download some updates and then it would run a scan. And, and, and that was very prevalent in the internet of the 90s and in the early 2000s. But um, where antivirus has changed, and, and now, you know, there's been several papers on this, is it doesn't give you a big advantage like it used to because what we see threat-wise is, is what we call zero-day events. Um, in the 90s and the 2000s, um, companies like McAfee or Norton would be tracking um, viruses that were flowing through the internet, and it was a much slower um, passage through, you know, through through various parts of the nation or globally. And 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 why you paid for the subscription was for them to get that information in and to basically inoculate our computers um, from this threat. And there was time to be able to do that. Um, now with our internet, it's it's high speed. It doesn't dial up anymore. Um, when something goes out into the wild they don't really have a much greater advantage than Microsoft Defender that's just built into your operating system um, or, you know, or, or the Mac OS where they are looking for threats and ransomware and those type of things. So it really doesn't give you, um, on the consumer side, a, a big advantage. So that was a big change um, that, that was out there. Now, McAfee still makes enterprise products. Um, you know, I, th they were on a lot of servers. Uh, still are. Um, Norton still has a big presence out there in the enterprise as well, but certainly in the consumer space, they weren't, they're, they're not as big as they once were. I mean, it was like, I, I think you probably remember if you went down to Best Buy, um, it came with your computer or, oh, or that meant or, it was good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or they handed you a disc and said, you pay a hundred dollars to get this. And so, yep. uh, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. So it was, it was very tragic news as a, as a, as a person who um, really helped um, when we talk about internet security and computer security, um, he really set that foundation. I mean, I mean, back in 1987, certainly a visionary and sort of a founder. Okay, can we talk more about 1990s computer software that shaped the world today as we know it? Well, so speaking of software, that's a great lead in uh, and, and, and an awesome co-host. Uh, so this week we had some news um, that Windows 11 is here, um, hey. you know, and, uh, you know, we, we you know, we, we talk about Apple, we talk about um, Android and, and all those type of things. And uh, and I actually have to say that whenever it's a Windows update, I'm always a little bit like, uh, it's Windows. Like, how you know, how good can it be? There's with Windows updates. From my very uninformed recollection of history, 
it's a crapshoot. You could flip a coin if a Windows update or a Windows version is going to be the bane of your existence this next year or two. It's like, oh, Windows 7. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, Windows Millennium. Oh, like there were so many bad Windows versions that just ruined years of operating. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Windows 8 was was terrible. I mean, uh, with the little <laughs> live tiles and everything. Um, but, you know, I've been saying this to, you know, to a lot of my colleagues that we are seeing a new Microsoft. And what I mean by this is, I'm trying to articulate this for, for as, no, as non-technical people as I can, but Windows and Microsoft were uh, sort of the company was founded on this idea of people are going to be buying operating systems. So this new version would come out and either you would buy the new operating system or you would buy a new computer. And this was a big part of Windows and Microsoft and Microsoft revenue. And we've slowly seen this evolution from you pay for this upgrade to it being free. And we saw this with Windows 10 where they were saying this is a free upgrade and we weren't used to that as Windows and as, as far as Windows consumers. Um, and people were like, why are they doing this? You know, um, And this is very important it, because the uh, Mac operating system, they've been doing this for a while of we have a new upgrade, you get it for free. People are like, why are they doing that? Well, one, from a security standpoint, is you want your consumers to download the latest and greatest operating system. Uh, and you want it to be very secure. The other component of it is, is you want your developers to get excited about it if the people who they're developing apps for are getting operating system updates for free, they're going to develop to the new operating system because their customers are, are moving forward with this with this new OS. So um, this version of Windows 11, there was a little bit of conversation about will will they change? Will they say that Windows 11, you know, 11 will be something that we'll have to buy? They said, nope, it's, it is going to be free and that Windows 10 users can see it uh, sometime this holiday season. So uh, a lot of really good improvements out there. And another thing to keep in mind is, is whenever Windows is updated, um, a lot of hardcore technologists are always saying, why, why don't they fix this? Why don't they fix that? Why don't they make it a little bit more secure? Because we hear about these horrible ransomware stories and these security events. Um, really good question. Uh, the, the problem is, is government, academia, um, military, a lot of private organizations run very critical pieces of software on very old versions of Windows. And if they make too big of a change or too radical of a change, um, those people are going to squeal. And so this Windows 95 has been built on and changed. And, and I mean, it is sort of spaghetti as, as it's been as it's been evolving. Um, and, and Microsoft has been pushing us to get out of Internet Explorer 6, and they have been asking us to evolve a little bit. Uh, but this is a real critical part of their business because they do a lot of work in the commercial and government space. And so, so they have to be very cautious with these upgrades. But um, overall, the, the, the announcements that, uh, that came out of it, one, it has a new look and feel. Um, that One of the jokes on Twitter was, wow, it has rounded corners. Yes, it has rounded corners on its window. Slightly um, transparent windows, which I, which I think is, is very appealing to me. I, I, I do like those UI changes. Um, something that was good, and, and we're going to have to see how people take to it, like um, my parents would not necessarily like this because people are, if you're diehard Windows, you like that start button in the bottom left-hand corner. They kind of changed that in Windows 8 and people hated it, so they brought it back in Windows 10. 
Um, you will see a little bit of a change, and I think you can you can actually turn it back. But they kind of make the bar dead center in the middle, um, which is very <laughs> Mac-like, um, <sighs> where you have everything in the middle. Um, but I'm sure you can I, be able to turn it off. I'm not okay with that. Lower left-hand corner, that is yeah. the only way I know it. And, in fact, if I had my druthers, just because it takes me back to my infant days of doing this, um, I want there to be an MS-DOS screen that comes up when the computer turns on. Command so prompt, yeah. In, I manually have to type in W-I-N to get it started. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think, and, and I think that the UI changes, and like I said, in Windows, you probably can toggle a switch and, and go back to your start menu as what you're looking for. But putting it in the middle, it makes more sense from a UI perspective that instead of you going bottom left, you can be able to drop your 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 cursor right down the middle or drop your mouse down the middle. Um, I think it looks good. Um, can, I, can I ask a stupid question? Shoot. Because you know that means I'm gonna ask a question. Um, is, an, is an OS like Windows or Mac, is, is that essentially just uh, an extended UI system? I mean, is it all user interface and that's the point of it? Um, no, I mean, UI certainly plays a big role in it, but it, it is the engine that, that is running everything. And the UI, the, the user interface that's put on top of it, you know, you usually see some, like when we talk about the operating system being the, the engine that's running it, you, you will see upgrades to that engine. But people expect the user interface to change. Otherwise, they're like, what did you do? Um, and so particularly if it's a numbered, a big numbered release, not, uh, so when you see, oh, it's 10.5 or 10.6, you're not going to see a lot of user interface right, changes. Right, right. But when you see something going from 10 to 11, people are expecting you to improve the interface, uh, you know, a little bit more, but, uh, but yeah, it, and in this release, but, but no, that's, that's a good question. Cause some people are like, is it all just surface stuff? Is there, is, did anything change under the hood? Um, from what we've seen this week is, is there is some under the hood enhancements, um, and, and a lot to be excited about, actually. Okay, cool. Very cool. So, yeah. So, um, and, and this was a good opportunity. They did take a swipe at Apple a little bit, um, which... <laughs> That's what I like. Yeah, I want yeah, yeah, to know where the yeah, violence is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we have a little bit of swipe. Um, one thing was by making the interface a little bit more aesthetically pleasing, it kind of gives a little bit of a Apple look and feel. Um, they hammered home a couple of interesting points. One is they went after creators. So this is something that Apple typically does is they really like the creator uh, market to see them as a partner you know, to them. So Apple is really big on creatives. You know, are you a music person? Are you a DJ? Are you doing art? Those type of things. And Microsoft has continued to say, we're creating products for creators. Um, they reiterated that. And then they also came out by saying, um, we want to give you a lot of options. We want to integrate with um, Android. So one of the things they came out is they said, run Android apps from their, their app store in our environment. They recreated a new Microsoft store. So they are really trying to enhance it, make it say, you know, you can game on, on this operating system. We want you, we, we integrate with Xbox. We want you to work with Android. We want our store to be open. We want to see enhancements to messaging. We want to see those type of things. And so um, while this had a lot of really good UI enhancements, 
They're saying creators, you can come here, gamers, you can come here, and our platform is open and available to developers, and, and, and we really wanna see you all use this new operating system. So they created a lot of excitement and buzz, um, which is good. I mean, I, I, I personally feel we need to have a very strong Microsoft to make Apple better and to force them to change and to make some improvements. Um, so, so this is a very different Microsoft, because they used to be like, it's all Windows, you need to play in the Windows environment and we may or may not play with, you know, there was a long time where they didn't wanna play with Mac or, or anything Apple, now they're saying, you know, we're gonna develop products where our customers are is what the CEO has famously said is we'll build Office for Mac. Um, we will make sure our, you know, you know, our technology is compatible, you know, um, web-based so, so, so that they can get some things. So um, I think it was a very positive event. I'm gonna be very excited about uh, the release of this this fall. I also think it's great that it's free. So somebody like, you know, you know, Dr. Marty, yourself or your parents, when they get that update, they can run the update and they can be yeah. and they can run in a, nice. in a nice, that secure environment. Nice. So while I am getting excited about the Windows update and thinking about how Windows has affected my life, along with other 90s technologies, I am going to take us to the break and we will be right back with words from our sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Wet Panda Dry Bags. You know, it's pretty basic to think about dry bags, but it's so important. You know, when we're headed out to paddleboard or we're headed out to hike, um, I reach for my dry bag all the time because, you know, I have a digital camera, I have different equipment with me, and I am not always confident that my backpack is completely waterproof. So I just tuck it into my dry bag and I know that it's going to stay safe. And I even pack a wet panda bag in my gym bag because, you know, if I'm swimming, I can toss my swimsuit into the dry bag and close it up. And I know that the rest of my bag isn't going to get wet and nasty. So check out Wet Panda. They are exclusively sold on eBay. Just search Wet Panda Dry Bags and look for that panda paw. Thank you so much, Wet Panda, for your sponsorship of the Sunday Brunch. And we are back to celebrate Windows. I looked out mine during the break that we just had. Um, but uh, Windows has been in the news a lot lately, and today... There was another, oh, actually, before that, I wanted to go back to the conversation about Windows and their rebrand, because it made me remember that the conversations I've had at work, that Windows has really kind of changed from like, I don't talk about the operating system nearly as much as I talk about um, their office suite, because it's really common in work, uh, their Surface Pro kind of stuff, if you want to work in the creative industries and that involve some kind of visual or I don't know how they are with audio, uh, audio software or those types of things. But it, it makes me think that they're actually a pretty clever company in finding a niche and going with it. And some of them are kind of disparate. Like they, I am not sure I can understand what the linking thing is between all of their niche areas. But I, I am kind of interested in your take on this of what the Windows brand actually is and, and where it's going. I think under their new leadership, um, what I'm seeing their brand uh, evolving into is, you know, I, in short, I think a more modern tech company. Um, I think under their CEO, um, there's been some changes in office. I think, uh, like I mentioned before, making updating like 
Office for Mac was a huge deal because I don't know if you remember, but I think it was like Mac 2003 was the only thing you could run on an Apple computer. And we had already seen mm-hmm. other versions come out for Windows because because for a long time, you know, Windows was like, we don't support the Mac. And the CEO was like, we're going to go where our customers are. So we saw them lean into that. Um, I also think that Microsoft really started to embrace the cloud and really start to understand it and make it better. I mean, a lot of organizations are running off of uh, Microsoft Azure. Um, that was a big, a big step. I think <laughs> Office 365 and saying, um, and, and you probably remember this, but some of our listeners may not. But it used to be you got you kind of got nickeled and dimed with Office. Was like mm-hmm. you bought, you know, you you may get student and teacher edition, but it wouldn't give you access. It wouldn't give you certain components. Um, and 365, they said, we're going to give you pretty much everything in the office suite. There was a couple things that weren't included, but we give you OneDrive. We're going to give you Outlook. We're going to give you all this. We're going to change it to the subscription model and give you five licenses so families could, could have it. So we saw them lean in and change. Uh, but a massive shift, in my opinion, was them getting into the hardware game. So that's when we saw Microsoft branded hardware. And that was always a weak point for Microsoft was they were developing this operating system and then other you know manufacturers, the, the Lenovo's, the IBM's, the Dell's um, were then you know purchasing the, the operating system for Microsoft and putting on their machine and, 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 and kind of doing various things to it, which, is, which that's what manufacturers do. Um, we started seeing these true windows uh, from the ground up, you know, they're doing the hardware um, and they're putting their operating system on it and, and labeling them. And we saw this evolution and it was bumpy for a long time, but uh, I, I actually watched the launch event of the uh, Microsoft Surface Studio. Um, I don't know, have, have you seen that that, that piece of hardware? It's, yeah, it's, it's a pretty famous launch event, isn't it? Yeah, it was as Apple-ish as a Microsoft event could have been. And, and for me, it was absolutely mind-blowing. If you have an opportunity to go on YouTube, uh, watch the, the commercial that they developed for the Surface Studio, the very first version. Uh, but they had a, a very interesting song playing in the background. They have a woman interacting with this piece of hardware. And it was all touch and pen. She was drawing things on it. And then they're showing like how the gears and how all of the technology that went into developing the product. And then she grabs the sides of the screen and she pushes it down. And all of a sudden she's writing on like uh, on this massive tablet, uh, which for me, I was like, this is a product that you would have expected a company like Apple to produce of this big 27 inch screen where you can draw on it. Um, they had a wheel that would attach to the screen and you could pull up a variety of different colors. And that was a huge step towards creators to say, we we, we want to support you. And up until that point, Apple had said, we're not doing touch screens on any of our computers. That is strictly iPad. That is strictly our phone. And Microsoft said, you know, hey, you know, we, we, we have creators out there that want to use a pen. They want to use this digital thing. And so we were all very mind blown. And so, so that's why I'm like, we're feeling a different Microsoft and, and we continue to see them sort of leaning in on some cool stuff. Not all of them are radically successful, but we are seeing some improvements there. And so um, I'm really excited to see it. And, and, uh, and certainly this week's event was, uh, you know, an, another step in a really good direction. So one of the things I noticed in the news very recently was that uh, Warren Buffett is stepping down from the Gates Foundation. And, you know, we, we have our, our superheroes of megatech that we talk about. And Bill Gates is one of the OGs of the superheroes of megatech. And um, 
he's been in the news a lot lately and the the gates foundation is going through some turbulence right now is is bill is is splitting up with co-founder melinda gates um and apparently warren buffett had given all of his his philanthropic money to the gates foundation and decided now he's going to give it to different organizations he's given quite a bit but i didn't realize that warren buffett and bill and melinda gates had started something called the, the, the giving pledge that the participants have to give away more than half of their wealth who take the giving pledge. So one of the things that I, I think we we demand and then don't pay attention to, the Gates Foundation was, was pretty well known for being philanthropic, like massively philanthropic. Um, but one of the other things that I think I think of, might not be accurate, I think of with Windows is there is before the dsg you know the people like looking at all of the what's the good that the company is doing if we were to come up with a metric or associated with it um windows had me thinking that way because of the gates foundation long before these other tech companies did and that might have been my own my own bubble that i didn't realize but i thought it was a bold move because how long has the gates foundation been around as, as long as I remember listening to NPR, I remember hearing things about the Gates Foundation. You know, I, I'm I'm not sure. I, I'm pretty sure it coincided shortly after Bill stepped down from from uh, from Microsoft. But I'm not sure on the exact date. It's been a while, and I always really enjoy reading their yearly letter um, because if if you're not familiar with the Gates Foundation, they they put out a, a pretty extensive letter in regard to their work. And it is interesting to read because they, you know, I sort of think about, you know, when you donate to an organization, you give them money and then they, they provide some sort of service. Um, the Gates Foundation does do that, but they also try things and they, and, and I, and I kind of, I kind of look at them as very deep thinkers um, because, because there's been a, there's been a couple of uh, things the foundation has done to, to, and I think we, we, we talked about it is. Um, in certain countries, it's not a matter of, you know, vaccine distribution done via injection. They were like, that won't work. It won't be effective if we spent money doing this, you know, it, it won't do anything. And they are sort of rethinking how to address these needs. And it costs a lot of money to do it and to sort of re-engineer these. And, and they and they will say in their letter, we tried something and it completely failed. And, and, and they, and so they're very transparent. And so it's a, it's been a very interesting foundation to follow. Yeah. It's a, they've been around since 2000. Um, and if everybody just wants to bring it full circle, Bill Gates is one of the people that was featured quite a bit in the early days of the pandemic, because he had a number of years ago predicted that the next big emergency the world is going to have to contend with was going to be a drum roll, please pandemic, because we were woefully underprepared. And so when asked what we needed, uh, he said, we need contact tracing, uh, which, drumroll please, we did not do at all, or a very, very poor job of it here. Other countries had done a good job of that, and many of them had staved off COVID for a very long time because of that. So um, an, ode, an ode to the, the helpful parts of Microsoft and, and, the, Windows, and the Windows era, um, because it's in stark contrast, and not to say that there was an enemy here or there. We all have our soap opera of a megatech giants going on. Uh, but did you read that there is a there was a petition to keep Jeff Bezos in space? 
<laughs> Signed by many thousands of people. You know, a lot of people, you know, liken him to to Alex Luther. Speaking of, uh, with with Prime Day, did you did you take advantage to, of of any of the deals? No, I didn't. Ah, uh, man, it's. It's it's turned into so so uh, for those of you that don't know so Amazon has a subscription service called called Prime, um, and Amazon created a holiday uh, in, in twenty fifteen called called Prime Day, which isn't uncommon over in China. One of their big e commerce platform has like Singles Day, and, and that's become another big big e commerce day, and it's like it marks kind of this. I, I don't know what you call it. Maybe another Black Friday. I think it even surpasses Black Friday now, but sort of like a Black Friday. Uh, but we have Prime Day, and so you jump inside there. And I think it is really hated by most tech journalists because there are lots of lists of like the top five things you don't want to oh, buy on listicles. Prime Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and usually, like if you want to buy Amazon technology, like um, as we had in our in our last episode, if you wanted to buy that Amazon Kindle that was on our hot summer hot geek list. That was a good time to buy it because it was really marked down. But um, it looks like just based on really early numbers that uh, they made about $10.4 billion in sales oh over God. the Prime Day holiday. Yeah. And and this has become such a big deal here in the U.S. that companies like Walmart and Target and Best Buy uh, are actually like calling it deal days or trying to brand That's something right. to, to be able That's to right. draw a piece of that $10.4 billion from Amazon. Yeah, there really is a battle of the techs. It is it is remarkable the era we're living in when we think about you know ten point four billion dollars in a single day. That's huge. That's huge. Now, there's a theme here to our 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 technology component of of this podcast, where we always talk about the megas, like the the figures that have been larger than life. And when we think about it, we're kind of in an era of our own history that isn't all that different, although in some ways it's very different, but um, in terms of the control of certain individuals who run these large companies, um, their their power is quite expansive and these companies are quite powerful. So um, we had laws, we had antitrust laws that were established. Uh, there was an era where we were taking down, you know, like similarly like Carnegie and uh, and others who, you know, had, had owned the, the transportation as well as communication, as well as whatever industries that they could link together. And we're seeing similar problems again today. Um, what's interesting is we're reliving some of the antitrust going on today. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Matt? Yeah, it was, you know, um, a couple of, of, of interesting things kind of going on here in the U.S. is there are several bills that are are have that have been proposed. They haven't been passed yet, but they have been proposed. What makes these interesting is we certainly expected bills to come forward to uh, kind of regulate and rein in big tech. Um, certainly under the Biden administration, this has been an area where, uh, you know, he has spoken about some focus there. A lot of candidates who were running, um, Senator Warren also mentioned up kind of mentioned during her campaign around um, trying to break up some of these companies. So we certainly expected um, some changes to roll out in, in regards to technology. What is really interesting is this: these bills have bipartisan support because both sides aren't happy with, with with big technology. So because usually you see more 
on the Democrat side concerns, but because of everything that, that went down with social media and the Republicans feeling that um, some of these tech companies are more liberal leaning and they're against conservatives or the elections didn't turn out the way they wanted or those two things. So we're seeing a lot of fuel on, on both sides, which um, is really interesting. I mean, I, I, I think that there's a good chance that some of these could pass. Um, I, I feel like with any piece of legislation, it's, you know, it, it requires debate and it requires, you know, the industry to look at it. Um, I think that even some of the, the, the big tech companies are saying we need to be regulated. But um, so so at what we're looking at is not one, not two, but four bills that uh, we will see come forward. Um, and, and, and I thought it'd be valuable to, to kind of talk about them. But um, the first one is, is the American Choice and Innovation Online Act. And this bill is really interesting because this sort of talks about these companies creating walled gardens. Um, and this can be, uh, you know, you could say this about Apple because they're the ones that sort of come to mind of them creating these walled gardens where it's really hard for another company to kind of get into that environment and, and really innovate. Um, companies like Google have also been scrutinized in this area as well, as far as when you type in a search into Google, Google will favor Google products. So if like if 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 a YouTube, you know, you might see a YouTube video that, that comes up first before something, you know, isn't necessarily within the Google sphere. So it is it is very interesting to, you know, to see this because they're because they're saying, you know, hey, have these these spaces, but you need to allow um, other companies to play inside of them. And what was also really interesting was the penalties weren't set at a specific dollar amount because one of the things that um, when when we see these types of legislation, they say, you're, you know, the penalty can be $15 million. Well, that's chump change to a company. I mean, we just talked about Amazon. If you make $10.4 billion in a matter of three days, you know, what is the penalty there? So um, they actually were, were talking about um, 30% of average daily revenue to the offending line of business. So uh, 30% of that 10.4 billion, yeah, now, that, now that's different. A more. Yeah, 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 for sure. So um, so, so that, that was really interesting. Um, so I, I think that like you and I have talked about, um, I think I think this is good, um, you know, you know, so they say, you know, your own products are important, but you can't have strong favoritism for them. Um, the other act that uh, what, that's also coming forward is the Ending the Platform Monopolies Act. And so this one is looking at companies that are, you know, at least 50 million monthly active users, uh, market cap of over 600 billion, um, from owning or operating businesses that would cause them to have an advantage for their own products and services and disadvantaging their competitors. So a little bit different here, but this is looking at things like app stores. So we, we talked about the case now with Apple. Um, this again is trying to break down those, the, those walled gardens. Um, this would also impact like ad exchanges and those type of things. So what they're trying to do is break down um, these, these sort of software platforms that, that have really heavy monopolies. The other two that are coming up is the Platform Competition and Opportunity Act. This bill is the one that I, I'm a little bit like on the fence about because it's, it's saying that there needs to be more process and, and companies need to make their case when it comes to mergers. Um, this is important because, you know, big tech likes to acquire companies like, you know, Facebook really wanted TikTok because they want to acquire that technology and make it a part of their own and they want to become this multi-headed beast. Um, 
but I really they felt... They don't want to become. They've already become a yeah. beast. But I, I, I'm sort of a critic on this one because I'm like, we have government organizations that are supposed to do this. Um, and even though we're like, we really don't like this merger, the government still did approve some of the big mergers that we've seen in 1920 and, and what we will see in 21. So this is just a little, this is an interesting component here. Uh, but they really want there to be some, some, some cases that... Uh, uh, that they want to prove, and, and and they really want these companies to really plead their case as far as as far as conducting these mergers. And the last one, which isn't that big of a deal, but I think it is something worth mentioning, is the Merger Filing Fee Modernization Act, which will simply make these mergers, the fees associated with these mergers, pay for all of this uh, regulatory components. So they actually thought about how do we fund these things so we can make sure that all these companies um, are doing what they're supposed to do. So if you have a lot of passion around this or you have opinions, uh, chat with your congressmen, chat with your senators, um, and let them know that you're supportive of it or maybe you're not so supportive of it and you think that that's some language should be changing here. Okay, got some questions because I always do around these things. We've talked about before that there's there have been a number of bills passed in, or at least there, there are certain kind of rights, I don't know if they're informal or unspoken, uh, that the, the lay public has, that their data can be kept private, that you have bills that target personal protections from people, um, of people from, from large tech companies. And these are kind of in the spirit of making competition fair. So there's like a, there's a, there's a particular slant to these bills that they're, you know, I, I'm a believer in making competition fair as well. Um, do you think that it's going to move in the future if, uh, if things continue with this momentum toward kind of a bill of rights for people on in, in the United States in particular, or do you think we're not ready for that? And we're still going to, the best we're going to get is hope that the industries themselves will create equity because of the competition there, that they're going to have to fight for that equity. And if we care enough about it, then we'll support those organizations. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to say. I think when I look at the history, um, you know, when Ma Bell and, and got broken up into the Baby Bells, um, everyone was like, oh, this is, you know, you know, this is great. We're, you know, we're going to break up this massive, and, and if you're not familiar with, with Ma Bell, um, in the United States, we had a massive telecommunications company that 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 kind of controlled everything, um, and then we felt that that was a monopoly, and 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 it got broken up into you know Ma Bell, we broken up Bay Bells. Matter of fact, I had family that worked for Mountain Bell because we're in the Colorado region, so they called it the Mountain Bell. Um, they broke it up, and they were like, "Yay, this is really great!" And then basically, the telephone companies slowly started coming back together and we have what AT&T, we have Verizon, we have choice, but they all kind of reassembled back into sort of these, these dominant companies. I would say that, you know, pieces of legislation like this, I think are helpful. I think that they will create opportunities um, for innovation and for in, in, and for these smaller companies uh, to 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 bring some interesting products to market. The flip side of that, there are some companies that have the the vision and the founders have the dream of becoming the next Microsoft or becoming the next Facebook. There are also people out there who they want to create a really good product and they want to be bought. They want the Facebook or they or they want Microsoft mm -hmm. to buy them out. Um, some of these pieces of legislation. Uh, may change that and, and, and people may rethink their approach. And so 
Um, but I think I think when it comes to tech legislation, um, technology moves much faster than our government can pass laws. So I think that you know we need to be keeping an eye on it and make sure that uh, it it doesn't become this anti-competitive landscape. Or there is one company that sort of rules them all. Um, I mean, when we talk about, you know, in the industry, we talk about Fang, you know, it was it's the Facebook, the Apple, the Netflix and the Google. So the Fang companies. Uh, Whoa, I love this term. Yeah. Did yeah. You, did you see Raya and the Last Dragon, by the way? No, no. No. So the the uh, putatively evil group uh, is, nation is called they're all parts of a dragon. So there's like Talon and I don't know what else. Fang is the bad one. So I wonder if the Disney folks, ironically, were were referring to the Facebook. What does the A stand for? Amazon. Amazon. And is yeah. Netflix and G is uh, Google. Google. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I hope that they all have pets with that name. If you belong. Yeah, I mean it's and and I think it's just we're we have very sort of interesting technology dynamics. And I think the way we define monopolies is is evolving. I mean, you bring up Disney. Disney has Fox, Marvel. They've sort of accumulated all these different companies. Um, what does that mean to creators? Does it still give them a, a, a venue and an opportunity if I was a streaming service? Um, so I, I think we talk about that. And, and I also think like with Amazon, as big as they are, um, the way that they position themselves as a company is is if if the federal government approaches them and says we want to talk to you about being a monopoly, um, they can make a case to say well there's there's other companies out there that are selling products in e-commerce. Um, they they can say you know yes we are a we do provide prescriptions but there's other companies that provide all like they can always make that case which I feel like Jeff Bezos being the very smart person that he is doesn't control everything front to back. He always leaves leaves some some room out there. But you can't argue that his acquisition of PillPack is making Amazon a a, a massive now pharmaceutical yeah. engine that's out there. Yeah. And it, I don't know about your parents, but I mean, I know a lot of people, they're like, my parents were on PillPack because they got them and they're labeled and they're very easy to use. Amazon bought them up. They're like, well, this is great because I'm a Prime member. Um, so we kind of look at so so some people even welcome monopolies because uh, they're like, this is super convenient because I get this all all in my Prime membership. But but yeah, it's it's a very interesting climate out there. So my prediction in the future, we are going to have a new version of the game Monopoly. It's going to be an app, and the um, the figurines that you get to use instead of a thimble or a shoe or a little I don't know Scotty dog. Um, are probably going to be what? Probably an iPhone, yeah. uh, an Amazon box, <laughs> a Service Pro. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we we could do all the important necessities of now. And when you pass by a particular area, it's not Boardwalk and Park Place that you want. It's going to be Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram. Uh, what else do they have? Do, do they have uh, LinkedIn? Oh, we're taking it back old school again. We're back to Microsoft. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. LinkedIn is a is a Microsoft product. So uh, yeah, they've had it for a while. And that, that was also another interesting buy by Microsoft too. I can't wait to talk about LinkedIn with you more um, because who doesn't want to hear about LinkedIn? I'm at that age. LinkedIn tells you you're getting old when you start looking at LinkedIn for updates. 
rather than Instagram or Facebook, you're like, oh, someone's been at the company for seven years. Old school LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. Are you on it? Do do you actually use it? Maybe. I, I, I'm never on LinkedIn. Like I, I get, I get, I get the red bubble that says that there's an update, but I'm not, I'm not an active participant. People just message me to, I I have LinkedIn. I have LinkedIn for self-esteem reasons. When I find that people are looking at my profile because it reports it. Are are, are you like tracking the people you graduated with? Is that, is that what you're doing? I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. That, that leaves us with, as always, a lot to think about, a lot to be grateful for, a lot to be contending with in, in our futures. Um, and the magic of all of it is that um, with a little brunch, you can do a whole lot. And so as we take us out for another week, uh, I want to ask everybody to keep in touch with us, to like us and subscribe to us, to contact us, leave questions, comments, and otherwise, and to keep listening. Uh, because when you listen and you enjoy and you stay informed, all you need is is a little brunch. So eat some and then go ahead and change the world. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Brunch. Before we go, show some love to our podcast by leaving us a review. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can check out our website at sundaybrunchpodcast.org. You can also reach out to the podcast via email at thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. That email address again is thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail, and this is for U.S. callers only, at area code 970-627-7445. Again, that phone number is 970-627-7445. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us next week.